0: Good morning. I hope that you had a good week of hunger for the Word of God and you feasted on it and found it satisfying. If not, grace abounds, mercy abounds. It's never too late to dig in. Um, I I don't think that any problem that we have as a church or individuals is solved by a sermon, but I'm I'm grateful and and honored really to stand up here and proclaim God's Word with the hope that... The Spirit of God would move and work and create change where I am unable to create it. And I think that when we talk about prayer, nothing highlights that better. And prayer is, is definitely us realizing we're unable and going to the one who is able. And, and so that's the theme of this whole talk this morning. Um, but I, I hope that things are highlighted differently or, or brought into the light differently for you. Uh, that it, it is somewhat motivational. I hope that it's somewhat educational, Uh, but in the end, we're all dependent on God. And so um, my hope is that that the Spirit will meet you where you are and wherever you are in your ability to pray and your knowledge of prayer and and your motivation to pray, whatever it is you need, I want you to just in yourself trust God. And that's a prayer, that you're trusting God to help you pray, to teach you how to pray. And with, with all we know about God, his unsearchable greatness, his sovereignty, his power, everything we know about this, this great God of the universe, I, I think the very first place we should start is how amazing it is that we get to go to him and talk to him. I mean, you can even think of a king of earth. You don't just walk into a throne room and start talking to him. But we're talking about the king of kings, the, the one that's more powerful than any power we can imagine. We just go to him and we talk to him. So there's that deep sense of awe that should, should begin um, when, you, when you start to think about prayer. Um, but, but prayer itself is pretty complex. It's, in fact, paradoxical in some sense because we think about how we're finite beings uh, before this infinite, infinite God, King of Kings, in ways that we can't comprehend. But beyond that, we have access. I mean, this intimacy with our loving Father. So there's paradox there, and it's my, it might be a struggle to understand uh, and prayer itself can be a struggle. It can be laboring. It, it's, it's difficult sometimes. It's a duty sometimes. But it's, it's also desired and sweet and satisfying. It's a delight. We find peace in it. We find strength in it. It's weird that it can be both of these things. Prayer seems to be very intellectual, requiring a conscious thought, a, a knowledge of what's true. But it also pierces deep and has an ability to reach the deep parts of our being. Our soul, our heart engages in prayer in ways that our mind can't even comprehend. It's beyond what's natural. Prayer is often hurried. It's an afterthought in Christian discipline. Oh yeah, I should probably pray. Or people lie about it and say they're praying when they're not. I'm going to pray for you. Or... We'll talk bad about someone and then make it a prayer request. That way it's an excuse to gossip. We use prayer for our own selfish desires a lot, but it's beyond that. Prayer is how we are changed. It's not that we, we pray about what to change. We pray and God changes things. It's through prayer that we're changed. It's how we resist temptation. It's how we gain all that God has for us. It's how you gain salvation. Everything comes through prayer. Everything from God to us is first asked for and then received. So through prayer, we go to the one who's able to make us new, and he makes us new. Again and again, he does this. Prayer is not just part of being a Christian. It is a part of our being as Christians. It's something that naturally happens. If you have faith, it naturally happens. It's an amazing gift. It's access to the supernatural, to cry for power from the powerless. It's thanksgiving. You feel gratitude, but it's not expressed as thanksgiving until you pray it. It's a lifeline. It's what keeps us going spiritually. Prayer is an instinctive and natural expression of the faith that's been given to us. It's instinctive and natural to express your faith through prayer. John Calvin says prayer is the chief exercise of faith. So James writes a lot about works coming out of faith. Well, we can rightly understand that the chief work, the the first thing that happens when you receive faith is prayer. So you can reason that if you have faith, you pray. If you don't pray, you lack faith. So all that as an introduction, as a framework, as we get into some scripture to see what prayer looks like, because God has given us all we need to know about prayer. First place we're going to go is Mark chapter 10. We preached through Mark a couple years ago. I actually preached this particular passage December 2016. I don't have an impeccable memory. I looked it up. December 2016, we preached through the story of Bartimaeus the beggar who cries out to Jesus because he has a need. He's blind and he wants to see. And now this this passage is like loaded with goodness. In fact, I wanted to preach it again. Uh, That's part of the reason I chose it, but we're not going to have time to dissect it. I encourage you to podcast, but I want you to see the picture of prayer in this story that we didn't necessarily highlight the first go around. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, that's actually what Bartimaeus means, the son of Timaeus, and Timaeus means honor. So the son of honor is a blind beggar. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. So he hears the crowd. He can't see him, but he hears people talking. He hears Jesus is in there. So he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped. So in the crowd, all the crowd noise, everything's going on. A blind beggar yells out, and Jesus stops, the halt, and he said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? "Rabboni, the Hebrew word here is not just rabbi, teacher, but rabboni is master, my Lord, he says. My Lord, the blind man said to him, I want to see. Simple request. It may seem selfish. I want to see. And Jesus says to him, go. Your faith has saved you. Now the word save can be translated healed. It's the same Greek word, but I think it's imperative and I'm glad that it's translated this way. Your faith has saved you. Go, your faith has saved you, but he doesn't go. You have to imagine, Bartimaeus has a lot of things he wants to see that he's never seen before, but he doesn't just go once he's saved. Immediately, he could see again and began to follow Jesus on the road. So, so I, there's a lot here that I want to get into, but we were going to focus in on the prayer portion of it. He's crying out. So we have this unclean, undeserving, blind beggar in a culture that has totally outcast him. He's sitting outside of the city, unwanted by anyone. He, likely his family doesn't even care about him. He's all alone. People maybe sometimes give him a little charity because they want to be kind. But just in the context here, we see they're trying to just shut him up. Just keep to yourself. Keep him away from Jesus. He's seeking in their minds to violate the rabbi's holy space. And he's excessively needily begging for this impossible thing. But not only is that the case, but it's obvious that the other people there are fighting for Jesus' attention as well. So he's got a lot stacked up against him. There's, there's these people telling him, specifically, many warned him, keep quiet. It's as if he's this bothersome thing and his request's in vain. It's not going to happen, Bartimaeus. Just shut up and keep to yourself. But it says he cried out all the more. Specifically, he cried out for mercy, which demonstrates he knows he's undeserving. He knows his position, he's, he knows he's lowly. He knows he has no right to cry out to a rabbi, much less the Lord. But he does it anyway. So just feel the moment. Try to be there with these people. Seeing Jesus has all this popularity. This is towards the end of his ministry. He's performed all these miracles. All these people want to follow him. And crowds are gathering and following him around. He can do anything. And this blind man who has no one and nothing knows that Jesus can provide him with something. So he cries out, For mercy. So then ask yourself when you consider prayer, do you feel this same sense of desperation and dependence? Do you feel like you actually need Jesus? Do you think when you go to Him in prayer, I'm praying this because I can't get it myself and I need Him to get it for me? Do you feel this dependency that Bartimaeus is expressing, crying out to God for mercy? Do you sense the Lord is near and can hear your cries? Do you believe he has an ear leaning down and listening to you of all people that God hears you? Do you believe that? Do you have faith to believe that not only can he give you what you're asking for, but he'll give you what you don't even realize you need? When we cry out because we're blind and we want to see that He could save us. Do we believe He has that power? And do we have the confidence that will enable us to get up and go to Him when everyone else tells us it's fruitless? Will you be persistent because your faith is that strong? This is what we're trying to get our minds around when we consider prayer. It seems that this persistence is something God wants of us. It seems that He's not just wanting it of us; he's telling us we can't go too far. We see it most clearly in the, in the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to read through this story, but perhaps it's familiar. This this, this widow who has nothing, and also widows when when they don't have a family, they're outcasts if there's no man of the household. So this woman goes to a judge, a powerful judge who it says in Luke 18, verse two, neither feared God nor respected people. So she goes to him asking for something and she goes to him when he says no, she goes again and he says no. And so she goes again and he says no. And she goes again, seems to get tiresome. In fact, it's exactly what happens. She wears this judge down and he says, I'm just going to give it to her so she'll stop asking me for it. And Jesus is telling this story because he wants us to see this is precisely the type of beseeching of God that we're encouraged to do when we pray. He wants us to bother him. It says he's looking for those willing to, verse 7, cry to him day and night. He's looking for desperate people like the blind beggar Bartimaeus. He's looking for people who won't give up like this widow who's not going to take no for an answer not going to take a non-response for an answer. He's looking for those who, verse one of Luke 18, always pray and don't lose heart. Looking for those who find faith, who he finds faith in on earth because your prayers demonstrate you have faith. That's verse eight of Luke 18. So whatever it is you're asking from God, here's your point. Whatever it is you're asking God for, keep asking. That's what God would have you do. This is the type of faith he wants us to have. This is the type of faith God loves. He wants us to pester him with prayer. He's not playing games with you either. It's not like he's saying no because he's just toying with your emotions. He's sanctifying you in this. This is for your good. This is not, not something that God takes delight in watching you suffer. He's your father and he knows what's best for you. He knows what you need and he desires to give it to you. He's wanting you to come to him again and again, demonstrating your faith. Apparently, we all have this in common that we need to depend on God and he wants us to know it. So with more desperate pleas for power, we go to him like a blind man, like a helpless widow. We find ourselves with no other hope, with no one else, with nowhere else to turn, but to cry out for mercy from him. So if you know him, then you trust him. And if you trust him, you abide in him. And with this faith, prayer happens naturally. It just happens. If you you know him, trust him. You abide in him and you pray because faith overflows in our prayers. And then he hears us. So here's what it looks like. In awe of his holiness, with hearts full of thanksgiving, we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. We pray for gospel to mark our lives, that it would appear in our lives in us asking for forgiveness, knowing we're forgiven, and then forgiving others. It would appear in our lives as we resist temptation and our behavior reflects our gospel belief. When we love God and we love people, we see these things laid out in scripture all over. Christ commands it, the Old Testament commands are apparent. God's people, the church come together to live holy lives. All that we see in Scripture required of us comes to us when we ask God for it, for the power to do it, for the strength to move on. But we must ask Him. We pray like we're radioing our general for supplies and direction because we're at war. And He hears our call and He gives us what we need. Though the enemy surrounds us, He's got everything we need. But we have to ask Him for it. What good is it if a soldier's in a field and the enemy's surrounding him and he just doesn't radio in. Knowing all he needs is available if you just radio in. In Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing about prayer. We also preach through Colossians. So plug in the podcast this morning. Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. I love how he phrases this because he's saying, devote yourself to prayer, and this is how you do it. Stay alert and have thanksgiving. So be watchful and be grateful. See all the need for prayer all around you. See the suffering, feel it even. Know that there's an end coming, so there's an urgency to this. And remember You have something to be grateful for. You have hope. Devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. So we're praying for our brothers and sisters who are also on this mission, that God may open a door for us to the word or for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So Paul's currently in prison for preaching and he wants prayer so that I may make it known as I should. So understanding prayer, kind of what it is, getting our minds around how how we feel when we go before the throne of God. Prayer is where mission begins. And it's also where the battle is fought. There's no one you're going to convince, but there are people the Holy Spirit can change. You cannot convince anyone to be saved. We need the power of the Spirit to move and to work in ways that we can't with our words and our actions. So have your apologetics ready. Have your personal testimonies ready. But we must pray for the Spirit of God moves and works when we ask Him to. This only happens if you have the faith to believe He can save. So if you have a, a prayer problem, it's actually a faith problem because you're not believing God hears you. You're not believing He can do what you say. Or you ask. Now, when we don't have faith in Christ, our prayers feel like a burden. Like it's just one more thing for us to tack onto our to-do list. It can seem boring, right? If we're just honest. Sometimes prayer is hard to get into because we don't have the faith to believe it. it's worth doing. So we rush through it. We make it It's something we just go through the motions. It's this perfunctory thing. We've got to get it out of the way because that's what Christians do. Or we use it to transition off the stage or whatever so no one's distracted. We just make prayer this filler, but it's not a filler. And if we have faith to believe the God of all creation hears us and will answer us, then it's not fruitless, it's not in vain. There's no way it would ever be boring. But we get stuck in those things. It, it, we're disconnected from the power source. It's, it's leading us to be faithless because we're not praying. And that's the fuel that we need. So it's this cycle of weakening our spirituality. And so the less faith you have, the less you pray. And we, we don't just have it in us to pray and not lose heart. As Luke 18.1 says, we have to ask for that too. God, give it to us that we could pray and not lose heart when you don't answer. But we'd keep coming again and again and asking. All of this is tied to faith. And if we don't believe and abide, we won't pray. Moreover, we, we don't have reason to pray if we don't believe and abide. Sometimes the best thing we can do for our faith is expect more of God. Amen. He can do more. For the crossing, he can do more. Through the crossing, he can do more. For Monroe, God can do more. We're just not asking him to. Maybe we tried or maybe we talk ourselves out of trying because we don't know for sure that he would do it and we don't want, him, we don't want to ask and it not happen because then maybe God's not real or something. I don't know. We just talk ourselves out of praying because we're faithless. I mean, we don't ask him for it. James chapter 5 writes to this beautifully It says in verse 13 of James chapter five, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. So simple, right? Are you suffering? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. If you have things to be thankful for, praise God. If you're suffering, pray. No matter where you are, whatever the circumstance, go to God. Look into verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are. It's such a comforting phrase. Elijah, this powerful prophet of God, was a human being as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the skies gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Where do you put that in your mind? Where do you try to file that? As you heard that read, where did you try to fit in your framework of theology of how God works, and how he hears prayers, and how he answers prayers? Where did you put that? Did you try to just, well, that's Elijah. This is a prophet of God right? He didn't even die. He was so faithful. He just rode up into heaven on a chariot of fire. That's Elijah. Of course, he can pray that it won't rain and it won't rain. That's Old Testament God. He's different than New Testament. God. What did you say to yourself? Because it seems to me pretty clear God is able and willing to do impossible things when we ask him to. And the right thing for us to do is not to rationalize why he won't do it. It's to ask him to do it. And then when he doesn't, what do you do? You ask him again. And when he doesn't, what do you do? You ask him again. That's what God's words telling us to do. Where do we think who do we think we are that we can rationalize what God's going to answer and what he's not and choose to not ask him for it? What What theological superiority do we think we have? What understanding of Scripture do we think we have that we can say, God, you're not right to tell me to beg you? What do your prayers look like? It reflects your faith. It seems natural that we would ask for help when we can't do something. You get a jar out of the refrigerator that you can't open, what do you do? You find someone stronger, someone with more power to open it, and then you take partial credit because you loosened it. That's right. That's precisely what we do with God, right? We might ask him for something, not really having faith to believe he does it, but when he does it, we take partial credit because, you know, we loosened it. When we think about our mission, the gospel-saturated mission that we have before us, the crossing couldn't really change Monroe if we just had better leadership, or if we just had more money, or if we had better connections in the community, or if or if we change something about what we do, none of that's going to work. But what if we knew someone with greater power than we have who could open this jar for us, this mystery, the things that seem so far beyond us, the the things we desire to see for this city, walls that we want to see come down, the tensions we feel between our brothers and sisters. What What if we had a God who could do anything and we ask him to do it? Well, certainly we do. The Lord, the creator of all things, the one with unimaginable power who knows all things and controls all things and hears our prayers can do it. He can change anything about your life, anything. So instead of complaining and grumbling about how he hasn't, why don't we ask him to do it? To use us to fulfill this mission he's called us to. He's certainly equipped us. He's given us everything we need and we just need to radio in for help. And then we ask again and again with persistence, bothering him because he wants us to. Brothers and sisters, I call you that with intentionality because he is our father. He loves us. If you are in Christ, you belong to him. You can go to the king of kings as a child, going to their father. Individually and corporately, he loves us. So don't lose confidence in your prayers just because they're not working out how you thought they should. Keep asking. Prayer is an expression of your faith, but I also think it's fair to ask the question, if God is sovereign, if all things work out according to His will anyway, if no matter what we want, it's out of our control, it's all in His control, if that's true, and I believe it is, then why pray? I think it's a fair question. If God's sovereign, why should we even bother? And I have three answers. There, There probably are more, but... First, first reason we pray, obedience. It seems to me the Lord uses our obedience to bring about His will. It's not just God's will is going to be done, but our obedience brings about His will. Our asking brings about His will. Our evangelizing brings about His will. He saves. He uses us to proclaim what's true so that He can save. He works and answers prayers, but He has to first hear the prayers. God has designed it that we would be His body in, on earth. Representing him to the earth, but also that we would be his children, asking him to work, and then he would work. Why? Because he delights in that. It brings him joy. And that's the second reason that we have relationships. So, obedience and relationship. He is our Father, and he wants to hear your prayers. That's why you pray. He wants to hear you go to him again and again. He tells us so much so that he, he wants us to bother him with prayers. I was thinking about me being a son of my children. And when Titus comes to me, I want to hear what he wants. I desire for him to be happy. I want to say yes as often as possible. This morning is is a great example because he came to me and and I was working in the kitchen and he asked if I would come sit on the couch with him. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. I'll come sit on the couch with you. So I went and sat on the couch. And then he said, he leaned over, this is what he really wanted. Will you turn a movie on for me? So I was like, yeah, I'll turn a movie on for you. And then I went back into the kitchen to keep working. And like maybe 10 seconds later, he came in there with his hands behind his back and he looked up at me and he brought Skittles from us behind his back. And he said, "Mm -hmm." that's all I did. (laughs) He knows he can't have Skittles for breakfast, but he still asked. And I want to say yes. This is how our father hears us. I want to say yes, but I know more than he knows Skittles is a bad breakfast. And no matter how much delight it brings him to fill his mouth with sugary goodness, it's not good for him. And because I'm his father, and though I want to say yes, because I know it's going to make him happy, I choose what's best for him. And I said no. And and this time he responded really well. It doesn't always go that way. But you know what he's going to do later? He's going to ask me for those Skittles. It might even be in the morning again for breakfast. Because he's my son, and he knows I'm his father, and I love him, and I want him to be happy, and Skittles make him happy, and so he's going to go to his father and ask ask for him. He'll do it again and again and again. And if it's for breakfast, I'll say no and no, 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 not for breakfast. And Except for maybe one day, because I love my son so much, and I see how much he wants these Skittles for breakfast, I'll let him have them, because it's not going to ruin his life. That's our relationship with our father. So we pray for obedience sake and we pray for relationship's sake and for sanctification. We pray because we believe it changes things. And I believe prayer changes things, but I think mostly it changes us. We grow devoted. We grow dependent. We grow with a greater knowledge of how big he is and how small we are and how much we need him. It humbles us as we go to him. And all of these, our obedience, our relationship with Him, and our sanctification bring glory to God. So that's why He's given us prayer, that He would be glorified. And in love we obey, we pursue fellowship with Him, and we're made holy through it. So perhaps you've reached a point in your sanctification where you realize some things you shouldn't ask for. Maybe you've convinced yourself. Maybe you've grown in maturity and you know this isn't the will of God, so you don't ask for it. I understand that sort of reasoning, but I think what's most clear in Scripture is that we should be asking for it. So, so what if you're unsure of God's will in your life? So, what if you don't know how the future is going to work out? He still wants you to ask. So, what if you think some individual is beyond saving? He still wants you to ask. So what if a situation is unraveled so far that you feel like it's rock bottom, there's nowhere to go? Just ask. And keep asking. I feel confident no one in this room has asked too much of God. But in the same sense, we should have our prayers be kingdom-minded. So so what? I, I, don't, I don't want you to leave here thinking I'm going to ask God for a Lamborghini over and over and over, and He's going to give me one. Go ahead, try it. I'm saying you have the freedom to do that. I'm saying God will hear that prayer. I don't know if you'll ever get it. You're free to do it. But what's most pressing for the church is the mission of God. And prayer is our radio in for help. We need to keep the kingdom in mind because there's things that are temporary that bring us some joy, some, some happiness. But there's things that are eternal with far greater significance. And those prayers matter most. And so the prayers we bring before God should be first and foremost that we would be strong enough for the mission and that the lost would be saved. We need to go to God again and again and again and ask that he would move and work to bring the kingdom here and now. We should long for his return, pray for his return, that Christ would come because it's the greatest thing we could have is him before us and with us. So think on this question If right now God answered all your prayers from last week, just last week, you don't have to go too far. If God answered all your prayers from last week, would it change the world? Or would it just change your world? So, what are we praying for? How do we pray? Why do we pray? Great questions. God's given it all, He's given it all to us in His Word. He's shown us what prayer is, why we pray how we pray. And the Lord Jesus gave us this great example when asked the question, teach us how to pray. He gave gave us the Lord's Prayer. A couple years ago when we had this particular sermon, we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And we see how to pray is with adoration. We adore who God is. He's our Father. He's holy like nothing else. We pray with thanksgiving. We thank Him for what He provides for us. We thank Him for who He is. We thank Him for for the life we get to live and the air we get to breathe and the joy that's eternal that's to come. We, we pray with thanksgiving and we pray with confession. So adoration, thanksgiving and confession. We, we admit to him we're weak, we're unable, we're sinners. We confess those sins to him, knowing we're forgiven because of the price Christ has paid. And we pray with supplication, that is asking him for more, asking him to move, asking him to to provide us with what he said he would provide us for. Adoration, thanksgiving, confession, supplication. This is the picture of how to pray that Christ gave, but then he modeled prayer for us. Now, Jesus didn't have to ask for forgiveness, but he did choose to become sin. But before that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ prayed with urgency Christ prayed with with an earnest heart. He he prayed to his Father to remove the weight, though he knew it was the will of God that he would suffer and die. Though he knew it was necessary, he prayed still that God would remove that and and Lord's will be done. And then on the cross, he cried out to his Father, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. So though he didn't have to ask for forgiveness, he cried out for forgiveness. And then he took on sin while being crushed under the weight of sin on the cross, while feeling God's absolute and ultimate hatred for sin, taking on wrath on the cross under that weight. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we often attach ourselves to the forsaken part. But what's most beautiful is this cry is a cry of adoration. It's a covenant call. My God, he's recognizing he still belongs, though he's sin in the flesh, taking on the wrath of God for sin so that we wouldn't have to on the cross. He cries out, my God, my God. Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, enables us. He models it for us. He tells us how to do it. He enables us to pray. In the death and the resurrection, we have been made righteous. We're granted access to the Father. We go into the Holy of Holies because the curtain is torn. We can go into the presence of the Almighty God clothed in the righteousness of Christ and no harm would come near us because nothing should be feared more than we fear God, but He is for us. Because we are clothed in the righteousness of God only by the sacrifice of Christ. So we can pray. And we should pray. And we ask Him for all that He has for us. And again and again, we ask Him. And I want to I pray. So let's pray together. I'm going to actually lead you through a prayer. I'm, and not a verbatim, word for word, repeat after me. But I want to ask you to, to go before God If you're a believer or not, just go before God with me and allow me to lead you just to model model what it looks like to go to God in prayer. You can use this model every time you pray. Let's pray. Let's just, in reverence, come before God. Consider who He is. Consider how holy He is, how powerful He is. Visualize yourself going before a mighty King A king of light. Unapproachable light, Scripture says. You can almost feel the weight of His glory. Now remember, He's your Father. Praise Him for who He is. Just to yourself, praise Him for who He is. Both our Father and this holy King of the universe. Thank Him for how faithful he has been in your life, how he's provided, how you're alive, you're breathing. Your, your gratitude is significant, but it's, it's thanksgiving that God wants to hear. So express it to him. Just thank him for how good he is. And now, now consciously accept his will. Like, know that he, he has power and control over all things. Consciously think on how he is in control of everything. Every circumstance throughout history is in his hands. Your life, your breath, your soul is in his hands. And with that on your mind, confess to him your weakness, your neediness, your dependence. Realize he's bigger and he's better. Than anything. He's more satisfying than any sin. So lay your sin down. Whether it's whether it's a carnal lust for things in this world or or it's just this intellectual uh, fighting, resisting surrender because you want to control things, whatever it is, lay it down because he's got it and you can trust him. Leave it there. Nail it to the cross. Ask Him to give you what you need to do what He's called you to do. And trust that He's able to do that. He's willing to do that. He loves you. He wants to say yes. Pray this very same thing for your brothers and your sisters who are fighting alongside you in this mission. Pray that God would equip the Crossing Church. Pray generally and specifically. Think of people you know. Thank God for their gifts and their abilities. Ask Him to sustain us. Ask Him to save the lost. Think generally and specifically. Name people. Name people in your family. Friends you have. Neighbors you have. People that you want to see join this family. But only the power of the Spirit can do it. Ask God to do that. And ask him to equip you to be used by him to reach those people. Trusting that he's able to do that, that he desires to do that, that he will be faithful in doing that. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful that you love us. Make yourself known to us. Make yourself visible in our lives. Starting here in our hearts, be all that we know you are. Overwhelm us with with joy and peace as we consider who you are. Lord, advance your kingdom and use us to do it. Whatever it takes to see your kingdom advance, Lord, let it happen here. Not that we would make any name for ourselves. Not that the Crossing Church would be put on the map. We don't even care if anyone knows about who we are or what our name is. We just want to see you glorified through the saving of lost souls. We want to see joy where there's no joy and hope where there's no hope. Freedom where there's bondage. God, we want to see you rush through this city like a mighty wind, bringing life into the lifeless. And we know that you can do it. We know that you've placed us here with purpose. So God, let us be sent out into the city to see you worshiped by more and more people, lives changed, satisfaction in a God who's glorified. Lord, I know it's no accident that the individuals in this room who are present are here. And so I pray that your spirit... Though doing this corporate work would do an individual work, if there's any lost soul in this room, God, save them. them. Pull them from the flames of hell. Pull them from the miry clay. Set them on solid ground. Let them see Christ be drawn to you by your grace and your mercy. And for every saint in the room, God, let us see that we are not good in our own right, but that Christ has done everything necessary. You would stir in us a great affection for you that we would worship you this morning like, like never before. That every time we enter into your presence as a corporate body, let it be a singing of praise because you are a good God. A longing for you to move more and to do more and a trusting that you will do that. Let our faith be fixed on Christ, the one who has done everything and can do anything that you would be glorified among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.